Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit. Bullshit is rampant. Total fucking bullshit. B -b -b bullshit. This makes no fucking sense. I mean, it's just bullshit. Fuck. B -b -b bullshit. This is bullshit. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I just say I love hearing Bill Nye and David Lynch in that opening. Uh, just <laughs> makes me happy every yeah. time. Uh, welcome to Bullshit Filter, the news, your weekly news show from Ray and Cam Productions. Um, <clears throat> uh, I think this is uh, day 625 of the year of our Lord Trump. Um, so, uh, welcome to you all. Uh, we have survived mm -hmm. uh, another, another week. Um, right. <laughs> uh, now I uh, want to apologize, uh, off the bat, um, to Trevor Bell, uh, for this show not being ready, uh, in time right. for his uh, weekly big long drive. He did text me yesterday and say, where the fuck's my new show? And I said, sorry, Ray <laughs> slept in. Right. Uh, that's why we were well, passed it. out, but same thing. A couple of days yeah. late. Passed out. Okay. Um, yeah. uh, also, I would like to wish a very, very special happy birthday uh, to me today. It's my birthday. Um, oh, happy birthday. That's all right. See, obviously, you weren't going to do it, so I thought I'd do it myself. Uh, well, for, for me, technically, it's tomorrow, right? No, it's technically today because I live here. On the other side of the world, you celebrate my birthday where I am, bitch. Not where you oh, are. Oh, I didn't. That's I never. Okay, yeah. happy what birthday. A fucking American centric view of the world. It's not the tenth <laughs> here, so fuck you. <laughs> That's Jesus true. Christ. That's true. All right, why don't you kick it off, Ray? What do you want to talk I about don't... today? Um. Well, since we're all about exposing. Fraud, ne'er do wells, liars, hypocrites. Why don't we put them all together and talk about our president? Why don't we talk about Trump, the the most successful liar, uh, con artist that's ever been? It turns out that maybe he's not quite the self-made man that he has bragged about for decades. I, I believe that he banged a porn star and a Playboy model, and I give him kudos for that. But as far as his riches, the very basis of what he is supposedly known for, not so much. Not so, you, so much true. So you're going with one of my stories, not one of your yes. stories. You thought, right. well, you thought I love this story. You want to open with one of my stories instead of opening with one of your stories. Okay. Yes. Right. I it's, it's my birthday. It's, it's my birthday, so you want me to do all the work. Right. 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 It's your birthday, you go first. Oh, I see. Oh, so, it's so polite of you. Such a, such a gentleman. Um, yeah, this is one of my favorite stories from the last week. Uh, now, we always suspected that Trump's full of shit. I don't know what, what gave us that uh, impression. But, <laughs> intuition. Uh, just intuition, yeah. Yeah. Um, particularly regarding his wealth. And uh, the New York Times came out with a story uh, about a week or so ago where they've done a, a detailed investigation into Trump's finances, but particularly his father's finance, Christ mm. Trump, 
Um, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ Trump was his full name. Um, no, it was actually Fred Christ Trump. We've talked about him before. That's his, that was actually yeah. his real fucking name, Fred wow. Christ. Ego much? I'm surprised Donald hasn't changed his name to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Christ uh, yeah. Junior. Yeah, the yeah. Christians are working. They 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 think he's uh, yeah. Jesus anyway. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, they did this detailed investigation. Now, a what the fuck took you so long? Is my first question. Would have been really right. nice to have this story out before the fucking elections, New York Times. But hey, you know, I guess they had other things to do because they are the failing New York Times. They probably had other things right. on their agenda. Yeah. Um, highlights, um, according to their investigation into Fred Trump's finances, Fred's been dead for 20 years, but they went back and dug up all of his financial records, dug his body up as well, I think. Wow. Um, That's thorough. By age three, Donald Trump, your Lord and Savior President, was earning two hundred thousand dollars a year in today's dollars from his father's empire by age three. Wow, not bad, not bad. I mean, he is very smart. He's told us that he has all the big words, very, very, very big IQ, and that proves it. Stable genius, exactly. At, at age three, he was earning two hundred thousand dollars a year. Was he? Yeah. Was he playing the stock market at age three? I'm Probably. just trying to figure out where this okay. No, I think I think, you know, he was just he was in a managerial capacity um, in his father's real estate okay. business. Um, by sense. the age of eight, Donald Trump was a millionaire. Yeah. Um, which is reasonable because if you're earning two hundred thousand dollars a year from the age three to the age eight, that's five yeah. years. That's a million it. dollars. It's not that's like math. it's not like you, you, your overhead is high when you're three. I mean, Fox is four. Just diapers. Well, um, it depends when you get toilet trained. Uh, um, Fox only got toilet trained a, got- a month before his fourth birthday. We were pulling our hair out. Going, right. What the fuck is wrong with this kid? Um, and well, uh, yeah. yeah, but you know, his 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 overhead now is is really just. Um, Oh, shit, I was going to say something Nets. completely inappropriate. I'm not going to go there. Um, by the time he well, was... He probably... I was going to say, he probably party trained himself early just so he could cut the expense of diapers. Again, it's all about the bottom line. Yeah. He's and by the time yeah. Donnie was 17, his father had given him part ownership of a 52-unit apartment building. And just after he graduated from college, he was... Re- receiving the equivalent of a million dollars a year from his father's business. Now, why do we care? Well, you know, the Trump has, has always said that he's a self-made man. That's how he likes to position himself. Um, he even acknowledges, though, that he got a single million, one million dollar loan from his father and that he paid him back with interest mm-hmm. and he turned it into this huge $10 billion empire but wow. uh, it, it, apparently none of that is true. Uh, of course, Trump and his spokespeople are denying all of this, but th- that's what you'd expect. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't tend to believe everything the New York Times publishes, as you well know, hmm. uh, right. but I have no reason to suspect that they're lying about this because if you write something negative about Trump in your newspaper, you, you expect he's going to sue um, so they'll be ready yeah. for a lawsuit regarding this, which means they're going to have to have their ducks lined. They can lie about Castro all they like because, A, 
He's dead. Right. B, yeah. Cubans can't sue Americans. Um, right. Uh, al- although they have taken, a f- you know, some of their cigar brands did go to the World Trade Organization at one point and say, hey, stop using our fucking cigar brands. Um, right. But uh, when it comes to, to lying about Trump, they're going to be a lot more careful. So I suspect they've got the data to back this up. Um, so his whole, um, this perception that Trump's been putting out there for, for many, many years now, that he's a self-made his man. His brand. Yeah, yeah, his brand is, is complete and utter bullshit, which is obvious to anyone who knows anything about the family, like his grandmother, his grandfather and died. We've talked about this briefly before, but... It was his grandparents that got started. His grandfather died. His grandmother started like a bit of a real estate business. Then his father got involved in the family business. So Trump, Donald Trump, your president's third generation. And um, true to the old uh, uh, saying, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations, he has managed to fuck it all up. Um, You know, he, he inherited a massive empire, as it turns out, uh, right. According to the New York Times' study, probably uh, he got from his father without having done any work, probably around $140 million in today's dollars, wow. much of which was never repaid, let alone repaid with interest. <laughs> so probably not hard to, to do some stuff <laughs> if you uh, give in a gift yeah. of $140 million from your father. And, of course, as anyone who's paid any attention knows, everything he's touched, Trump, has basically turned to shit. Uh, He's he's had four or five businesses, like big businesses, go into liquidation. Um, He's he's very, very bad at uh, running businesses. And... Uh, which, which you know, you, we see his personality now as a president, and that's not surprising. He can't focus on anything for more than a couple of seconds. Um, all the stories that have come out of Woodward's book and Michael Wolf's book about the way the White House is run, where they basically have to draw big cartoon pictures to explain anything right. to him. Um, and they do it in, you know, watch Dick Run kind of level dialogue, uh, six-year-old level words. Um, When he says he has all the big words, they're the words he's thinking of. Watch Dick and Jane run. I mean, Dick runs, and that's 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 for him. Big words. There's like three or four letters in there. Um, Now here's why I think it's interesting. So what? So what? Here's what I think um, we can we can take from all of this. Right? Trump is a fraud. And he knows it, and at some level, it's eating right. him alive. Now, ah. we've talked before about how he doesn't have any shame or humiliation. He's a narcissistic psychopath who just bounces from mm-hmm. lie to lie to lie. And that certainly seems to be true, but also... I. I think at some level, deep, deep down, he is full of self-loathing because he knows he's a fraud. He may right. have plastered over it for 50 years with... Uh, the golden toilet. <laughs> no, he's plastered over it. Like, he may have been able to convince himself at various times that he's not a complete loser. 
But deep, deep down, I think he thinks, it's not my judgment, yeah. I'm saying he knows that he inherited his wealth and he's not a self-made man and it's it's all bullshit. Now, it begs the question, like the way he positions himself uh, to the general public as a self-made man, is that just marketing? Is that PR? Because he thinks that's what right. they're going to want to hear. Because uh, Americans have this whole um, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, America's the land of opportunity. Yeah. You can do it if you try. What's what's the, what's the term they use for that? Um, pull up by your bootstraps, work hard, and play by the rules. Yeah, there's a guy's name. Who's the guy's name? It's like the self-made oh, man archetype. Um, um, uh, fuck it. I'm going to. Not Carnegie, is it? No, I mean he really hmm. he really was a self made man. I think um, the, the the there's a fucking there's a archetype that did he make it? Did he make it in oil? Did he make it in railroad? No, uh, it's Building. not. Like, it's not like a real person. Oh, yeah. I mean, Horatio oh, Alger. Geez. You know Horatio Alger. I've heard, I've heard the name. I don't. It's not, it's not ringing any bells. Really? It doesn't mean anything. Fuck me, man. Yeah. Did you grow up in America? How is it that I uh, know Horatio Alger and you don't? And I didn't even grow up there. Anyway, uh, I don't seem pretty excited about. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> Horatio Alger was an American writer, nineteenth-century American writer, late nineteenth-century, and he wrote a lot of young adult novels about. Poor boys who came from humble backgrounds and just through hard work and courage and determination uh, pulled themselves up from rags to riches and all this kind of stuff. So these sorts of stories are often referred to as Horatio Alger stories, right? Uh, oh, gotcha. he, he created this mythical archetype of the self-made uh, man um, kind of thing, you know. Um, uh, also... Uh, sexually raped a lot of children, um, Horatio Alger. Oh, God. Um, we, no one's perfect. Yeah, He was a pastor with the First Unitarian Church in Brewster, Massachusetts. Um, right. So between writing these stories and being a pastor, he also liked to um, sexually molest Jesus. boys. And that tells you pretty much everything you need to know about America. Right. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, I just, I just think you know, we 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 can probably read a lot into this about Trump. Just that, just that sort of overbearing arrogance, um, which yeah. comes across like a front to me. Oh um, yeah, is probably driven by these deep, deep insecurities and. Very, very high degree of self-loathing. Well, if I could put a spin on your story about Trump, think of it this way. And, and this, again, this feeds into his probably, and I think you're right, uh, insecurity. Think of it, you, know, you have a father and you have a son. 
The father is so successful, by the time his son is age three, he can give him $200,000 a year. By the time his son is eight, he can make him a millionaire. By the time his son is 17, he owns a 52-unit apartment building and gives his son a part of the ownership. And when your son graduates from college, he can give him $1 million. So to me, all that speaks about is the father's, about Christ's success, not about Donald Trump's and when you look at it like that, I mean, how could he not be comparing him to his father? How could he not um, feel inadequate? And if it wasn't for him becoming president of the United States through a very crazy set of conditions, he was actually born on third base. And he would probably right now be on second base, go actually going backward if he hadn't made it to the White House. So, again, I just think that this uh, – just shows us another window into his world about how he really is just faking it because like you said, there's, I think there's just a lot of self-loathing going on. You're doing that thing where you just basically repeat everything I've just said and package it up and make it sound like this is your own, your, your own, you know, thinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Mm. Copyright. Um, but you know, but no, but, but, but spinning the story and looking at it from the father's point of view, the father was successful, not Donald Trump. He just benefited from someone else's hard work and success. Well, the grandmother was successful, and the father was her too, right? Successful. Right. Yeah, so I, all I, these people were there. Before Trump. Yeah. And 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 I've heard it said before that if Trump just took the money that he was given by his father and invested right. it in the stock market, uh, it would be worth yeah. his his net worth today would be much higher than it actually is um, as a result of his various <laughs> business failures. And look, there's, 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 well, nothing, a TV show. there's nothing inherently yeah. wrong with that. Well, that wasn't really his TV show either. That TV show was invented by somebody else, produced by somebody else, designed by, engineered by somebody else. Trump was just the talent. Like, he, he had nothing yeah. to do with the TV show apart from they put his name on it and he read a script, right? Yeah. Um, but and, and I guess the other part of this is a what it tells us maybe about Trump's uh, psychology. Secondly, the people who voted for him believed the myth, um, which makes them all dupes. Or maybe they didn't. Maybe they just voted for him as a fuck you to the political establishment. Yeah. And I think that's true. I think there is a section of the the trump support base that probably oh, yeah. knows he's full of shit knows it's all a big joke and just doesn't care doesn't care yeah because they're like just fuck you the to the political yeah. establishment you've you've just been uh failing us for so long that we're ready just to burn the place down and trump looks like the kind of guy that <laughs> on his way out of the white house would just light a match um, he strikes us as that. <laughs> he's already kind of poured guy. gas all over the place. Yeah, and he just lights a match and tosses it over his shoulder on the way out. Even if it's an impeachment trial, however he leaves, the point is we'll try to burn it down well, on, he on would, his way out. Actually, Trump would probably try and light a fart uh, as his way of trying to burn down the White House. That's <laughs> that's the kind of guy I think he is. Um, yeah. <laughs> Him and uh, Kavanaugh, they'd be drinking or no, whatever. Trump, Trump doesn't drink. Um, which is another interesting thing you know during the whole Kavanaugh thing uh, you know Trump again stated that he's never tried alcohol and I wonder why should we believe him 
he lied about everything else. Who knows uh, what he does? He's been saying this for decades. I think if he if he was a drinker, we would know about it. It would it would have come out. Mm. Um, I do think he's I do think he's uh, a teetotaler, like Hitler was. Um, and uh, I think it's interesting. I wonder um, why. I've never really heard an explanation about why, what's going on. If there was alcoholism in, in his family uh, and that uh, made him steer clear of it or if he just decided at some stage he wasn't going to do that. Uh, if he had some right. bad episodes, maybe as a teenager of drinking and decided, like I did, and just decided, okay, that's it. I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah. I wonder. Right. Yeah. Well, speaking of establishment, um, whether it's the political establishment or the business establishment, all you know, everybody the world over is nickel, diamond, nickel and dime to death. Have you ever heard of the anti-establishment artist Banksy? <laughs> have I ever? I never heard of him until have, I get the. Have fuck, you ever heard of him? I, I don't know anything the, about him. You had never heard of Banksy before. This week, really? No. When am I going to come into contact with a group? No, it's the only know, graffiti is, I'd ever come this, in contact with. It's is, this, it's this yeah. thing. It's this thing called culture, Ray, uh, where you pay attention <laughs> to the arts. <laughs> Banksy yeah. is Banksy has been the most famous, probably the most famous artist in the living artist in the world for probably 15, 20 years. Man, how well, how have you not heard of Banksy? Okay. The point is, I was using the question as a setup and a transition, so you don't have to go ball to the ball. So I'm guessing, yes, you've heard of him before. Uh, yes, yes. Okay. Everyone's right. heard of him. No, before, I, w- right? I was just, I was just uh, reading some of his quotes uh, as I was looking through this latest uh, news section about him. He, he says, uh I guess it's a he. Uh, TV has made going to the theater seem pointless. Photography was pretty much has pretty much killed painting, but graffiti and ha- excuse me, but graffiti has remained gloriously unspoiled by progress. So he he trashes on everything com- com- consumerism and that kind of stuff. And he had this beautiful quote. I'll I'll just uh, paraphrase it real quick. He says, "People are taking the piss out of you every day." They butt into your life, take a cheap shot at you, and then disappear. They leer at you from tall buildings and make you feel small. They make flippant comments about buses that imply you're not sexy enough and that all the fun is happening somewhere else. They are on TV making your girlfriend feel inadequate. They have access to the most sophisticated technology the world has ever seen, and they bully you with it. They are the advertisers, and they are laughing at you. And then he he sums up with, you owe the companies nothing, less than nothing. You especially don't owe them any courtesy. They owe you. They have rearranged the world to put themselves in front of you. They never asked for your permission. Don't even start asking for theirs. So I just thought that was cool. Obviously, he's like he's like a lot of people who who's are standing up and noticing what's going on in the world about the crass consumerism, about the superficiality of our of our culture, and he, and he's speaking out about it. And obviously, he he does stuff with his art as well. So I'm glad that you knew about it. I just thought it was pretty amazing. Uh, just some of the uh, the more ballsy statements uh, that he has been making over the year, and obviously getting a lot of attention with his artwork. Mm. And you want to tell you want to talk about the story that brought him finally to your attention? Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. So there's 
a very famous uh, painting of his. Uh, it's a girl with a balloon, and it's at the Souther- Sotheby's auction house. And this was, I think, last Friday. And so uh, they're putting it on sale. They're putting it on auction. It goes for $1.4 million. And I'm sure most of the people who are cultured, uh, like Cam, have seen the video. And the second that the guy slams the gavel down, it has sold for $1.4 million. It turns out that there is a built-in shredder, the bottom part of the uh, frame. And so as soon as it's sold... I think at least half of the painting goes down and is shredded and it's just hanging there. So then suddenly everybody's looking around and no one has any idea what to do. And the guy who's in charge at the uh, Sotheby's says, um, we are busy f- trying to figure out what this means in an auction context. He goes, we've been banksied. So the point is, is like someone bought a painting, but now the painting is ruined. So do you give him the money? Do you take the money? Do you still give the person the the, the shredded painting, what is going on? And then right after this, Banksy gets on Instagram and he, and he writes, going, going, gone to his own piece of art. So since you know a lot about him, what do you think he's saying by shredding his own work after it sells for a hell of a lot of money? I don't want to speculate on what he's saying, but I'll tell you one thing for sure. Uh, a minute after it was shredded, it was worth twice what it was a minute before it was yeah, shredded. Right. Um, and, and it's right, funny, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I, I've, I've been talking to some people about this since it happened, and I keep saying, you know, um, most people had never heard of that painting before it was shredded. Now everyone's heard of it. And I said, I bet you there's even some people out there that had never heard of Banksy before this, not... <laughs> for a moment, thinking that um, I would be t- speaking to one. Right. So, you know, wow, I've uncovered uh, uh, one of the rare yeah. uh, species of people that has never heard of Banksy. Um, so, yeah, I think that painting is now the most famous painting in the world um, after the Mona Lisa. Right. Um, great stunt uh, uh, on behalf of Banksy. Um, probably some anti-commercialism message, but the bigger question uh, for me is... Did Sotheby's know about it? Do you think they knew it was going to happen in advance or not? I think there was um, supposedly, because I read like four or five different articles, I could have swore I'm going from memory here. Someone who worked there actually had a remote control switch and was told by someone to push it just as soon as the sale went through, even though they might not have known what was going to happen. So I, I don't know, but I think you're absolutely right. If Because half of the painting drops through, it's shredded, and it's still in that one piece. I would take it home, put it up on my wall, and like you said, it's easily worth a lot more than the $1.4 that I just paid for it. So you didn't answer my question. Do you think Sotheby's knew about it or not? Um... I'm going to guess no, but maybe that's being naive on my part. Did you watch the video of the event? Yeah, I just saw everybody. Yeah, I watched the video and everybody just looked kind of shocked. Like they had no idea what was going on or what was supposed to happen next. And then two guys come along and take it off the wall and walk it away. So at an auction like Sotheby's uh, where there are multiple million dollar paintings hanging around, do you think they have security there? I'm sure they do. And do you think if some surprise event that involved the destruction 
of one of these million dollar paintings happened, do you think security would kind of react in some kind of a way like, lock this fucking joint down now, lock the doors, we're going into fucking red alert, (laughs) as opposed to standing there like stunned mullets uh, as they do in the video? So what you're saying is because they did not anally probe everybody before they let them go, that somebody already knew something like this was going to happen. Yes. Oh, that's what I'm suggesting, okay. that it was all a setup. Right. It was a stunt. Uh, Sotheby's, somebody at Sotheby's anyway, uh, and uh, knew that a stunt was going to happen. Whether or not they knew exactly what the details were or not, I don't know but I guarantee you they knew something was going on and that they told the head of security, listen, something's going to go down. <clears throat> don't shoot. Don't, don't shoot. Don't, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> don't shoot me. Everyone be calm yeah. when it goes on. Right. And uh, Now, the video also had multiple angles. So there were multiple people there in the crowd, at least, who knew what was going to happen because they were videoing it and then giving that video to somebody to edit it together for, the, for Banksy's video. Um, now, do you know who Banksy is, Ray? Do you know Banksy's uh, biography, Banksy's lifestyle? What do you know about? What, what have you done? What have you uncovered in your uh, investigative research about Banksy's personality, Ray? Well, I don't work at the New York Times, so I'm not as good as them. I just read that he was a British, uh, British street and graffiti artist. Uh, he's kept his name and identity secret. Uh, and that he obviously um, examines contemporary issues, uh, like I said before, but I don't know anything about him. Right. Well, nobody knows anything yeah. about him, so you know you, you you've at least uh, caught up to the rest of the world. Um, <laughs> Banksy, Good. despite being one of the most famous artists in the world for the last twenty years, is completely anonymous. There's been a lot of speculation about who he, she, or they might be. Um, right. Connections with a guy called Robert, Robin Gunningham uh, from Bristol. Uh, there's also Robert Danaya, who is one of the uh, front men for the band Massive Attack. He was a graffiti artist mm. um, before he formed the band. And uh, Banksy has apparently said in interviews that he was inspired by uh, Danaya's graffiti work, and he's a big fan of Massive Attack. Um, 3D, I think, was the artist name of Robert Danaya before he formed the band. People think it might be Danaya. There was an investigation I read a few years ago where Banksy's uh, artworks seem to appear in cities where Massive Attack has just done or is about to do a concert. Um, ah. And uh, and I think when they accused Robert Denae of being Banksy, he goes, well, no, but he's a friend and he just, you know, is a fan yeah. and he tours around and watches our gigs and just does it. So no one knows. My, my, my hope is that it's not a man um, or a woman, that it's a collective and then it's a bit like right. the Dread Pirate Roberts. Um, the title <laughs> just get passed on. The hundred years from Somebody now, retires. we'll still have yeah. Banksy yeah. doing um, artwork yeah. that makes you think and puts it out there in right. public. Makes you think. Designed to 
stir up a little bit of controversy. Um, there's a great documentary called Exit Through the Gift Shop about him that came out a few years ago. You should watch that and get yourself a little bit of a fucking mm. education, Ray. Um, okay. You know, just this, no, no, seriously, dude. Like, you know, I know you live in the backwards of bumfuck, but um, you know, just, just, you know, get, get a, pay attention, pay attention, Ray. That's all I'm saying. I'll try. Fuck me. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's uh, talk about this. is This is one of my favorite stories at the moment. Um, now, apparently. Uh, breaks down like this. In a few years ago, 2015, Amazon.com started looking at buying a startup called Elemental Technologies. Now, Elemental Technologies was a video streaming service. They developed some proprietary software and combined it with some super uh, powerful hardware to compress large video files and format them for streaming down to your iPhone or your iPad or your computer. And Amazon wanted it to form the basis of their Netflix competitor, Amazon Prime. Um, Elemental at at that stage had already streamed the Olympic Games, uh, uh, communications with the International Space Station. They, They were even providing a service to funnel drone footage to the CIA. So they'd already wow. done a lot of stuff. Uh, they, they had their, their, their fingers in a lot of different pies and Amazon wanted to, to buy them and integrate them into their service. So they started to do their mm-hmm. due diligence uh, when they were going to buy these guys and uh, they, they looked at their software and they're looking at their code and all this kind of stuff. They also started to look at the hardware that the, that Elemental were using to run their service. Now, the hardware was built by a company called Supermicro Computer, aka Supermicro. They're based in San Jose in California. They are one of the world's biggest suppliers of server motherboards. Now, wow. Amazon sent a few of these motherboards to a company, I think, in Canada that... that analyzes these things, breaks them down, tests their components, tests their speed, all that kind of stuff. Now, apparently, Mm -hmm. when these Canadians were breaking down these motherboards, they found a tiny microchip about the size of a grain of rice that wasn't part of the specs of the motherboard. Oh. And when they analyzed what these chips did, they seem to be grabbing data from the motherboard and sending it to the cloud to person or persons unknown. Now, the the conclusion that was reached by these investigators was that chips had been inserted at factories run by manufacturing subcontractors in China. Of course, Pretty much every phone, computer today gets made in China. Mm -hmm. And as were these um, uh, uh, servers. Now, again, these super micro servers sold by Elemental were at the time sitting in the Department of Defense's data centers, the CIA's drone operations. They were on board Navy warships. They were inside hundreds of 
of large American corporations, uh, including Amazon, of course, and Apple. Um, Now, (laughs) according to like Edward Norton, uh, not Edward Norton, he's an actor, Edward Snowden, um, possibly... If you believe conspiracy theorists, also an actor, but uh, I tend to believe he's he's not. Um, uh, the, according to Snowden, um, there are two main ways that spies uh, spy on your data using your computers. One right. is known as interdiction, where they um, intercept the device, the hardware, the computer, when it's in transit from the manufacturer to the customer. So somewhere along that supply chain, it's on a boat, uh, it's sitting in a warehouse, CIA Mm -hmm. or another agency gets in, opens the box, takes it out, uh, alters it or replaces it with something that has their sniffers on it, repackages it up, boom, it goes to you. You think it's come straight from the manufacturer. You start... Watching porn, CIA is watching <laughs> watching you jerk off uh, through the camera in your laptop. That's one way. Um, that's according to Snowden. Show. That's that's how American spy agencies do it. They want to spy on your company or you as an individual. That's the way they're going to get at you. Is intercept your computing technology when it's being delivered to you. Um, the other way involves altering the the device in the point of manufacturing in China. Now, Ah, China makes about 75% of the world's mobile phones and 90% of the computers. So if these chips are being inserted into technology, like no one's going to fucking know. No, No one... No one opens yeah. up their, their computer or their phone and studies the uh, motherboard <laughs> to see if there's a tiny microchip the size do? of a grain of rice that shouldn't be there <laughs> according to the specs. Um, right. It's quite possible that they were put there by Chinese government, People's Liberation Army, someone like that, and that they've basically got these things spying on the world, essentially. Maybe it's not just super micro. Mm, Maybe yeah. it's every fucking motherboard that's come out of China in the last 10 years uh, they're using wow. to spy. Now, uh, the, the, these investigators apparently found that it affected 30 companies in the US, including a major bank, government contractors, and Apple. Uh, but mm-hmm. Amazon, Apple, and super micro... And by the way, Amazon did end up buying Elemental. Um, they're all denying that it ever happened. The U.S. government is denying that it ever happened. Uh, everyone's saying never happened. Don't know what you're talking about. No, we haven't been infiltrated by China. Putin. Putin's the problem. Everyone look at Putin. If anybody. Don't look right at point. China. Not China. Couldn't be China. Right. Never happened. But Bloomberg claimed to have interviewed a total of 17 ah. people that were involved in this uh, investigation, including six current and former senior national security officials. And they say that they've been interviewing these guys since the days of the Obama administration and right through into the Trump administration. Um, But um, 
all of these companies and the the current American government are denying it ever happened. Don't know what you're talking about. We did our own investigation. No, no, nothing. no, nothing. No one knows what you're talking about. Yeah. You're crazy. Go home. You're drunk, is what they're saying to Bloomberg. Go home, Bloomberg. You're drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Bloomberg is sticking to their story. So what? So 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 what's this? So what do we care about this? Um, so, you know what we what we know has happened in the last. 25, 30 years, 40 years, since Reagan predominantly, is American uh, companies, American manufacturers, American uh, retailers have become increasingly greedy, wanting to squeeze as much profit as they can out of their products. And so they've been offshoring Mm -hmm. manufacturing. They offshored it to, to, to Mexico. They've offshored it to China, to other parts of Asia, um... And uh, the reason they do that is because these developing countries uh, typically have pay their, their, their workers get paid much lower salaries, and regulations aren't as developed there, so they don't need to worry about things like I don't know health and safety. They don't need to worry right. about other regulations. Yeah. They probably get huge. Uh, tax benefits of, of putting their facilities into these countries because it's a boost to the economy. They get tax credits and that kind of stuff. Um, uh, and these these workers not only get paid a very low hourly rate and not only don't get sort of, you know, um, health and safety provisions and, and health care and all that kind of stuff, but they will work 100 hours a week, like we talked in our Japan story last week, um, same in China. People will work themselves right. to death because they're poor. They will work long Literally. hours. They'll do what they're told. Um, and if they don't, you just take them at the back, shoot them, throw them in an unmarked grave, move on. I mean, no one, no one's going to care. Yeah. There's someone else to take their place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so American companies have been, and not just American companies. I mean, Australian companies, British companies, every all Western manufacturers have been doing this over the last 30, 40 years, um, which is simultaneously increased their profits and destroyed the manufacturing base in all of these countries, which has, you know, destroyed uh, jobs for blue-collar workforces and and left a huge gap in our industrial capacity and our economic capacity as nations where, yeah, if you look at, if you look at, I know that in the United States, if you look at uh, the breakdown of the U.S. economy, say in the '80s, something like a mm-hmm. third of the uh, wealth creation in the U.S. came from manufacturing. Today, it's in single digits, and it's all moved to financial right. services. So we have a financial services heavy, top heavy um, economy. Um, but What's also happened, if this story is remotely true, is China has, as a result of this, become the world's top manufacturer of computers and phones, and then they're subverting them uh, to spy on the world. Um, Or maybe it's not the Chinese government, maybe it's an AI that has woken up in China and is just, maybe this chip is the uh, Matrix chip that the AI is putting, it's the Skynet it's coming true. that it's putting in right. all of these things. So it's possible. Bloomberg didn't say that. That's purely speculation on my behalf. But uh, hey, right. you know, it's going to happen sometime. Anything's Why not possible. now? Exactly. Yeah. 
But what about Putin, Ray? What's Putin's involvement in all of this? This is what we want to know. Don't we don't want people yeah. thinking about China as spying right. on the entire United States with these chips. There's got to be a Putin angle in yeah. it here somewhere. Oh, absolutely. See, 20, 20, 30 years ago, whatever, he actually came up with this idea. He knew Russia couldn't do it because we're already watching them. So he goes to China, sells it to them. They split the information, and then he comes back to Russia, acts all crazy or, or just gives weird looks to the cameras, which for Americans is the same thing. He is distracting us. They are stealing our information. It's the perfect tag team approach. Brilliant. Just yeah. brilliant. Yeah, he went to China once, so therefore yeah. it's, he's See? probably behind Boom. all of this. Well, it wasn't him. It was <clears> a, <throat> some just another Chinese uh, Russian person went to China, um, and right? Therefore, it's all they're doing. Yeah, no. Well, so um, I love this story, I'm, and, and it's the, one of the great things about it, apart from just like fucking everything. It's an amazing story. Um, is the fact that all of these companies and the government are denying it? Nope. Did not happen. Bloomberg's yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> nope. it did. Crazy. Nope. Nope. Never, <laughs> never now, happened. Now, one of them is lying. Yeah. It's either Bloomberg <laughs> and 17 right. uh, former national security officials and investigators, right. or Amazon, or- Apple, Supermicro, the US government. Uh, are out and out just straight up bald-faced lying to the media. Well, don't they have to? Don't they have to? Because it would shake confidence. I mean, my thing would be like, no, this is this is completely untrue. I don't, you know, I'm embarrassed for you. I don't know who your sources are. If you'll excuse me, I have to go crack open about a billion computers right now throughout my company. Thank you very much. I mean, they they have to. Don't they have to deny it? No well, matter what the truth is, I mean they've known about it. If the story is true, they've known about it since 2015. So they don't have to crack open these computers now. I mean, you could come out right. and go. I mean, we, there are data breaches every day. It seems like Google Plus just announced a data breach. We have data breaches all the time. Apple had a big one recently. Yeah. Um, and and you know, there's a PR methodology for handling these things. Yes, it did happen. It's not as bad as it sounds in the media. We've actually known about it for some time. We've already taken all of the precautions to lock the system down. Uh, and it's it's fine. Everyone go about your business. Uh, we, we're on top of it. You beauty. Don't <laughs> you worry this. about it. Yeah, we got, we got this. this. Hold my beer. <laughs> um, that's, yeah. that's the standard PR template for right. dealing with these things. Uh, this, you know, could be handled the same way. Yes, look, we we did discover this a few years ago. We jumped straight on it, man. We we fucking did. We get into action. You've never seen it. anyone. <laughs> oh, you should have seen. Oh, oh, wow. We did. We yeah. did a thorough yeah. investigation. We we didn't find any more chips. Um, no. we, we so nothing was compromised. You're all fine. Chinese don't know shit. <laughs> Uh, by the way, it was probably Putin anyway. If it did, it didn't happen. Yeah. What we're saying is it didn't happen. But if it did happen, it was probably it Putin. It would definitely be Putin. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. anything yeah. like this yeah. had happened, yeah. it would be Putin because he is you know, Dr. Evil. He is the evil mastermind of the world. Climate change <laughs> doesn't exist. But if it does, Putin's probably behind <laughs> it. That's one thing right. we know for sure. Right. You know, what did, what did you say, Ray? There are... 
Um, certain things that we don't know that we still don't know. I think that's what unknown they said. unknowns. Well, you yeah. didn't say it that pithily. Oh, I that's, didn't? that's Donald Rumsfeld oh. said it pithily. No, I know. Yeah. Um, you said, look, there are certain things we don't know that we still don't know. Science, we don't know. We don't science know. doesn't yeah. know things that it still doesn't know or something. And that's what they're saying. Look, we still don't right. know about climate change, if it's real or not. But if it is, one thing we do know <laughs> is Putin did Fact. it. Yeah, Putin yeah. did it. Yeah. yeah. Holocaust historian. Um, Christopher Browning, you ever read any of his stuff? No, I haven't. Um, one of America's most well-respected historians of the Holocaust apparently wrote a book called Ordinary Men, which sort of talks about mm-hmm. how um, Germans went from, you know, being just normal people to um, instruments of mass slaughter. Um he has recently come out and said that there's a lot of similarities between Germany in the uh, late 20s, early 30s, and the United States today. Did you read this story? Did you hear about this? Being a World War II expert, what did you think? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, looked, I looked up his book, uh, uh, the one that he wrote about. Um, it was basically a unit of cops who suddenly started conforming to people who were more radical and started doing things that they never thought they would do as far as the mass killing of Jews. But, uh, I mean, this kind of thing is, is, is it could easily be very explosive to, to compare anybody to the, to the Nazis. I mean, that's just, I don't know. That's just, um, I don't know. That's just, you're just asking for trouble right right off the bat to, to compare anybody or anything or any institution or any um, current behavior to the Nazis. Just because that's this, this the epitome of evil. It's the absolute – I mean it's hard to think of anything worse. At least we've been conditioned to think that way than the Nazis right. and what they did. Okay, but we don't believe in evil, so – we believe in rational actors uh, uh, trying to achieve what they think is uh, um, positive objectives. Um, you know, I don't think Godwin's law really applies. But anyway, he's he's talking about. He's not really talking about comparing the U.S. to Nazis. He's talking about the underlying conditions that lead to fascism. One of the things that I um, have been saying fucking ad nauseum for many years is that fascism isn't Nazism. Fascism is an idea or a set of ideas, and it can be interpreted and executed in different ways. Fascism under Mussolini wasn't exactly the same as fascism under Hitler. They had some commonalities, some common ideals, ideologies, but they were executed in different ways. Same, you know, it's the same as socialism. Socialism is an idea uh, about the the distribution of wealth in a society, Uh, but it's not prescriptive. There's there's no uh, uh, guidebook on how to execute socialism, which is one of the problems with it, you know, um, it would be nice if somebody would actually write that book. Maybe that'll be my next book. I'll write that book. Um, fuck Marx. Um, 
So, but if if you compare countries that have forms of socialism today, from let's say on one hand Cuba, on the other hand Finland, um, they both have a form of socialism, mm-hmm. uh, very different in terms of the execution of socialism. Um, and I think it's the same is true with fascism. So we shouldn't expect, and I think this is Christopher Browning's uh, point, we shouldn't expect fascism uh, in 2018 in an advanced capitalist society to look like fascism in the 20s in Italy or in the 30s in Germany. Very, very different places, very right. different times, very different conditions. They should, the, you know, it's like, uh, I remember, and I posted this story. So in December 2015, I posted a story on Facebook about Trump and fascism. So this is 11 months before the election. And a lot of people jumped down my throat uh, uh, for, for being hysterical and comparing um, Trump to Hitler. And again, I said the same thing. Yeah, it's it, fascism comes in different flavors, comes in different colors. Um, now, you know, I think Markham at the time said, "Well, we're not going to see brown coats. There's a big difference. We don't have to bring." Yeah, well, it's not about brown coats, right? It it, it that's that's right. just that's was a particular interpretation and implementation execution of fascist ideology. You just, you don't have to have that. So here's some quotes from um, uh, Christopher Browning. Now, again, this guy is one of the most knowledgeable people on Nazism alive. Um, So we Mm -hmm. should pay attention to what he has to say. Doesn't necessarily mean that he's right, but we should pay attention to what he has to say. Here's some quotes from his article. Paul von Mm -hmm. Hindenburg elected president of Germany in 1925, was endowed by the Weimar Constitution with various emergency powers to defend German democracy should it be in dire peril. Instead of defending it, Hindenburg became its gravedigger, using these powers first to destroy democratic norms and then to ally with the Nazis to replace parliamentary government with authoritarian rule. Hindenburg began using his emergency powers in 1930, appointing a sequence of chancellors who ruled by decree rather rather than through parliamentary majorities, which had become increasingly impossible to obtain as a result of the Great Depression and the hyper-polarisation of German politics. Because an ever-shrinking base of support for traditional conservatism made it impossible to carry out their authoritarian revision of the Constitution, Hindenburg and the old right ultimately made their deal with Hitler and installed him as Chancellor, thinking that they could ultimately control Hitler while enjoying the benefits of his popular support. The Conservatives were initially gratified by the fulfilment of their agenda intensified rearmament, the outlawing of the Communist Party, the suspension, first of freedom of speech, the press and assembly, and then of parliamentary government itself, a purge of the civil service, and the abolition of independent labour unions. Needless to say, the Nazis then proceeded far beyond the goals they shared with their conservative allies, who were powerless to hinder them in any significant way. If the US has someone whom historians will look back on as the grave digger of American democracy, it is Mitch McConnell. 
He stoked the hyperpolarization mm. of American politics to make the Obama presidency as dysfunctional and paralyzed as he possibly could. As with parliamentary gridlock in Weimar, congressional gridlock in the US has diminished respect for democratic norms, allowing McConnell to trample them even more. Nowhere in this vicious circle clearer than in the obliteration of traditional precedents concerning judicial appointments. Systematic obstruction of nominations in Obama's first term provoked Democrats to scrap the filibuster for all but Supreme Court nominations. Then McConnell's unprecedented blocking of the Merrick Garland nomination required him in turn to scrap the filibuster for Supreme Court nominations in order to complete the steal of Antonin Scalia's seat and confirm Neil Gorish. The extreme politicization of the judicial nomination process is once again on display in the current Kavanaugh hearings. So mm. I guess... Again, the point I want to make here is that fascism comes in different flavors, but the underlying what we need to look at is the underlying conditions that lead to fascism. The quote that I used in December 2015 when I posted my article is still, I think, the the best um, starting point to think about this. This is a quote from Trotsky, of all people. Um, this is uh, pre-ice pick Trotsky uh, writing in Mexico. Um, he wrote, at the moment that the normal police and military resources of the bourgeois dictatorship, together with their parliamentary screens, no longer suffice to hold society in a state of equilibrium, the turn of the fascist regime arrives. Through the fascist agency, capitalism sets in motion the masses of the crazed petty bourgeoisie and the bands of declassed and demoralized lumpen proletariat, all the countless human beings whom finance capital itself has brought to desperation and frenzy. Now, mm. if that doesn't sound nice. like America in 2018... The masses of the crazed, petty yeah. bourgeoisie and the demoralized lumpen proletariat who have been brought to desperation and frenzy yeah. by finance capital. Um, fuck me, man. I don't know. I mean, I reckon he had a TARDIS. He went, he went, he, he saw what was <laughs> going on and he wrote about it. Lumpen proletariat, for those who aren't familiar with Marxist terminology, right. sort of the lower orders of society who... Um, they're not really middle class. They're lower. They're not really revolutionaries. They're just going along, uh, you know, doing what they do. Basically, your lower, your lower class sort of white people in the United States. The Trump base. Fucking the Trump base is what it is. Um, and as I said on a recent Cold yeah. War show, this may surprise people who, who, who b believe right-wing propaganda, but fascism is not a left-wing thing. I mean, I hear this a lot over the fucking yeah. years, man, on Twitter, Facebook, blogs, Reddit. I'm always getting, well, but the National Socialist, Socialist, it's in the name. Look, it's in the name. They must be socialists. Like, yeah, and the People's Democratic Republic of Korea says democratic in it. I mean, if you <laughs> if that's your fucking standard for determining the politics of an organization, yeah. my friend, um, <clears throat> You know, um, yeah. um, as Trotsky says, and anyone who's 
read up on fascism knows fascism is is extreme capitalism. Both the Nazis and Mussolini believed in private property and a market economy. Uh, They just wanted it to serve a particular agenda, the state agenda. So there were tight controls on what that market economy could do. But um, it's, it's, it's basically extremely controlled form of capitalism, not laissez-faire capitalism. It's corporatism, state-run capitalism. Um, but, you know, as, as Browning sort of points out, the conditions in the United States today are very different from the conditions in Italy in the 20s and Germany in the 30s. You don't need to have a totalitarian dictatorship in order to have fascism. Mm -hmm. The same way you don't need to have a totalitarian dictatorship in order to have socialism. Finland doesn't have a totalitarian dictatorship. Um, Iceland, Australia, we have socialism. Britain has socialism. Yeah, but it's it's a different form. It's a blend of, of socialism and capitalism. Um, you know, what you have in the United States is, you know, what's referred to a bourgeois democracy or an illiberal democracy. There's no need to ban democracy if you can just manipulate it um, via, you know, a handful of large media corporations run by wealthy people. Um, that position themselves as the voice of the people, but really it's the voice of the bourgeoisie. Or via Supreme Court rulings like Citizens United, where you go, well, you know, no, corporations can spend as much money as they want on political advertising. No no problem with that. Corporations are people too. They're people too. There's no need to ban the democracy if you can manipulate it. There's no need to ban the media if you can manipulate it. Or if the media's on your side. Um, so we shouldn't think that the emergence of a form of fascism in a place like the United States would look like Germany in the 30s. That's a huge mistake. So uh, I just wanted to leave you with that. Uh, Christopher Browning. We'll, we'll post links to these stories up on the show notes where you can go read these stories for yourselves if you haven't mm. already. Yeah. Anything else? Any other celebrity go- cele- celebrity gossip no, stories you want to no, share? Or what did what did Taylor Swift do this no. week? Do you want to tell me that? Oh, she came off the fence. Not kidding, Ray. Actually. I don't want to care about Taylor Swift. Any other real okay. stories? Uh, a Monty Python story. Little girl uh, found a sword, and I'm all about. Um, um, at this point, it, being an American citizen, following any young lady who is going to distribute swords from a pond. So if she wants to come to our country and be a leader, claim that as her birthright, uh, I'll follow her instead of Trump. That would be fine with me. Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. What what little girl sword? What? Okay. Okay, so let me start over. So an eight-year-old girl 
found a pre-Viking sword in Sweden during the summer. She went with her uh, family to their little holiday home, but because of the drought and the heat wave, the water was lower, and she stumbled upon something in the water. She, Her dad pulled it out, and they thought it was a thousand-year-old sword, but experts at a local museum looked at it, and it turns out it's a 1,500-year-old sword. So uh, I'm, ju- I'm just saying that uh, they, they were looking into it. They uh, The museum did some more uh, searching in the lake. They found, uh, I think, a brooch from the third century, that kind of stuff. So there, obviously there's a lot of stuff there. So I'm just saying that if a watery tart comes along distributing swords and they want to use that as a basis of a government, I'm, I'm at the point where that's okay with me. That qualifies. That checks so out. For the kids listening to this that have never listened to Monty Python before, that's going to go straight over their heads. But nice, nice. I like how you worked the watery tart into that. That's good. Thank you. Um, All right. Well, that's the show for this week. Um, If anyone cares, we'll be back next week with more news stories and probably celebrity gossip um, from Ray. Uh, Have a week. Bullshit is everywhere. Wrong one. This one. Everybody knows you never go full retard. You a full retard, man. Never go full retard.